Coming up, we've got a couple guests to talk about the Pan-African Conference, but first this report about it from Olivia Daniels. On February 23rd to the 25th, Minnesota State University Mankato will be hosting the 46th annual Pan-African Conference to address closing the equity gap in education and leveling the playing field for all. The conference is welcome to the public, higher education, and professionals and students, and K-12 educators as well as parents. Emeritus professor and Pan-African leader Dr. Michael T. Fagan started the conference. He has served the university as the professor of African American Studies, creator and chair of the Ethnic Studies program, Associate Vice President for Multicultural Diversity, and Vice President for Institutional Diversity, Co-Chair for the 2022 Conference, as well as Director of African American Multicultural Affairs, Kenneth Reed, explains Dr. Fagan's intentions behind the conference. It's because of him that this conference started many years ago with the intent of discussing issues that affect the citizens of Africa on a local, national, international level and shedding light to those issues as well as developing the leadership skills of our Pan-African students, which at that time, there weren't as many. So it was great to see people who looked like them and to help them understand the potential that they had, as well as to be able to find affinity and discuss issues that affected them. The conference is going to host a panel of speakers, as well as host many concurrent sessions to dive deeper into the equity conversation. Some of the speakers include Bernadina Johnson, faculty member in the College of Education, Dr. Robbie Burnett, who works in the Systems Office for Minnesota State, and Dr. Tim Berry, who is the Assistant Vice President for Diversity, Innovations, and Faculty. During the main sessions, the speakers are Andrea Dees, who is the Vice Chancellor for Equity and Inclusion in the Minnesota State System, Tia Brown-McNair, who is the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Student Success for the Association of American Colleges and Universities. Alan C. Page, who is a retired Associate Justice for the Minnesota Supreme Court. Stephanie Burridge, the Deputy Commissioner for the Minnesota Department of Education. Andrew Tesha Fitzgerald, founder of the Building Blocks of Brilliant Education. And lastly, J. Luke Wood, who is a Dean's Distinguished Professor of Education and Vice President for Student Affairs and Campus Diversity at San Diego State University. And then when I think about with um, Dr. J. Luke Wood, one of the topics he's going to be talking about is advancing Black minds and his strategies for addressing student success in the dual pandemic. Because the reality is we have the COVID pandemic, but we also have the pandemic of the inequities that exist within our education system. Other co-chair, Dr. Angela Titi Amaya, former faculty at MSU, but now at University of California, Bakersfield, shares her view on the conference. I am very um, glad and, and, and happy to uh, you know, be able to participate in an event such as the, this one, where um, I can help contribute you know, uh, some of my expertise, but also learn from others' expertise on the field about how I can, specific tools that I can use in my classroom, uh, you know, to um, help all of my students be successful, majority and minority students, but in particular those you know, who already, you know, face, uh, you know, a greater, greater holders than others. And I, uh, I would hope that everybody attending the conference um, is going to uh, be leaving the conference with something practical that they can use um, like I said, either in their classrooms, you know, for those who are practitioners, or um, uh, a better understanding of people who have different backgrounds for those who are from the community but are not necessarily in the classroom. 
you know, because as we know, the more you know about folks and the more you understand their point of view and their positions, the better you can relate to them and their issues. And then, um, and then you can affect change that way. One of the main conversations from the conference will be about moving from conversation to best practices of serving and educating students of color and making sure that students are successful at all levels. Dr. Amaya addresses the fact that it can be daunting and seem impossible at your level to create change, but that is why the conference is so beneficial. This is a great event for you to figure out how, you know, at your level, you can do something. Equity gap is it's a big topic. What, what can I even do? Uh, well, the conference, you know, as you leave the conference, I think many of us will be energized as far as some of the things that we can practically do at our level, uh, you know, to help. It can be just the students next to you or the, 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 the classmate next to you. Um, and, and if you can help somebody feel, um, you know, be more successful in some way in their education, you know, be more comfortable on campus, feel like they belong, um, that would be good enough. The conference will be held completely virtually this year. For more information about the event, contact Reed or Dr. Amaya or visit mankato.mnsu.edu slash pan-african-conference. For the Southern Minnesota News Project, I'm Olivia Daniels. Programming is supported by the Good Council Learning Center, presenting Shrimpin' Mardi Gras style, Friday, February 25th at the Cato Ballroom. Social hour starts at 5, shrimp boil dinner at 6, and entertainment from the Jack Brass Band starts at 7. Plus, there'll be French Quarter casino tables and games throughout the night. Tickets and more info at goodcounsellearningcenter.org. And good morning. It is six minutes past 11. Thank you, Olivia, for that report on the annual, the 46th annual Michael T. Fagan Pan-African Conference. And the theme is closing the equity gap in education, moving beyond conversation toward identifying the best practices. And with me this morning, I'm pleased to have the co-chairs who are putting the conference together, Dr. Angela Titi Amaya, who is an assistant professor at California in Bakersfield in management. And I also have Kenneth Reed, who is the director for African American and Multicultural Affairs here at Minnesota State University. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Yes, wonderful to have you in. Now, I understand, Angela, you used to be here at Minnesota State, but you took a job, so you started planning the conference with Kenneth before you left. That is correct. Um, and I was a co-chair of that same conference last year as well. Um, but it is a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart. So I was grateful um, when um, I was invited to co-chair again this year. Well, glad you accepted. It's wonderful to have you on the phone. I want to know how you came up with the theme for the conference. It's closing the equity gap in education, moving beyond conversation toward identifying best practices. I don't know who wants to answer that, but where did that come from? What was the reason? Well, um, for all of our yearly conferences, we try to focus on relevant topics, um, you know, that are... Um, in the news and in the lived experiences of many of our attendees relevant to them. And um, as I'm sure you've noticed, um, there's been, uh, there's always, for some time now, some chatter about um, how to uh, make sure no one is left behind, so to speak, by um, our educational system. Uh, but uh, we feel there's a greater um, emphasis and urgency um, in the last year or two um, in particular, you know, after the death of Mr. George Floyd, to really try to address some of the inequities, um, you know, that are um, in the system. 
and um, so that's why we uh, you know wanted to discuss this topic and uh, best practices simply because we did not want this to be um, you know a very theoretical you know academic conference um, you know and it, there's a lot of research on the topic but we want our attendees to leave with what can I do tomorrow in the classroom um, as a K-12 uh, teacher, um, as a higher educational, uh, higher education professional. Um, so that's why uh, we decided to um, this topic for the conference. Uh, Dr. Re- um, Kenneth, would you like to add something? Yes, I would just say that in addition to that, the um, COVID in addition to that, the COVID pandemic has exacerbated some of those issues and inequities within education. As we move very quickly and rapidly to adjust to the distance learning, some of our students were left behind in the very early stages, such as those who did not have adequate access to internet or computer technology, or even some of the families who were um, impacted by their jobs, et cetera, that caused them to fall behind and maybe childcare, et cetera. So for us, it was like, okay, this is the perfect time to have the conversation because as we're still in this pandemic we want to address the issues that presented themselves before those who have have then been shed light even more so with the pandemic but then as we come out of this pandemic we want to start working towards best practices to address the issues not having the conversation two or three years down the line where these students are even more impacted by the pandemic the death of mr george floyd and the already inequities that existed who is this this conference targeted at the pan-african conference i know in the past you've had hundreds of folks i don't know how many are attending this year but i'm assuming a good amount we have about five to six hundred that are attending this year okay and so who are your target audience to to attend that's a great question. So first of all, the, the, the Dr. Michael T. Fagan Pan-African Conference focuses on issues that affect descendants of Africa on a local, national, international level. Our goal is always to um, instill leadership opportunities for our student leaders, which is why they're also involved in this particular conference. They're going to be presenting their own one, um, a couple of sessions, as well as introducing some of our keynote speakers. In addition to that, we want to make sure that we p- provide resources to those educators in the K-12 and higher education system to be able to do the work in the classroom, as well as to make sure the students know that these inequities do exist and you're not just imagining things. So I would say for K-12 educators as well as higher education educators, parents as well, because we want parents to know like, hey, these are ways to advocate for your students. These are things you can suggest inside your districts, inside your classrooms, or inside of their, um, um, the colleges and universities that they attend. And then also, last but not least, community members. We also need our allies, our advocates, and those community members who are involved in the different levels, such as school board members, or community members who are part, are part of the um, parent-teacher association, et cetera, to also be doing the work at their levels, too. So all areas of our campus community, greater campus community, and throughout the state can benefit from this conference. In the description... And I would add beyond the state as well, because these are topics that are relevant to um, anybody who is a professional in the field, Um, which is why you see our speakers are um, um, individuals who have experts um, who are well-known nationally. One of the thing the things of the conference theme says is to focus on s- how school cultures and curriculum marginalize students of color. Could you explain kind of what that means? What we mean by that is, um, and understand, it's not necessarily um, you know um, intentional, but it's about uh, thinking about a more inclusive classroom. For example. Um, uh, Kenneth just, um, you know, shared a great example with um, something as simple as, you know, access to the Internet. Um, if you do not um, make sure that um, everybody who was required to go to school remotely 
is in a position to attend to school, they are marginalized because they are not able to um, attend classes um, and move forward along with the other students. Um, that also speaks to uh, some of the content or some of how it is um, you know, delivered um, in that making sure that everybody in the classroom um, can move along, um, not necessarily at the same pace, but you know, um, has the opportunity to move forward. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, and I think rural students in rural Minnesota or rural areas are especially impacted as well with, the, you know, mentioned the Absolutely. Internet access and thing like that. So it's it's a big problem. Yeah. And so it's neat to see that you're addressing that. And so what are some mm-hmm. examples of maybe some cases of marginalized students and how you're addressing some of those needs? Well, some of the things that come to my mind are like the hidden curriculum at the um, higher education level mm-hmm. or such things as the school to p- prison pipeline or some of these high truancy or um, su- uh, suspension rates are some of the examples I can think of most in the uh, forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. And as far as w- the speakers, how did you choose those speakers in terms of what their expertise is in addressing this conference? Um. All of them have uh, been involved in attempting to address the issues we'll be covering, either um, from a policy standpoint, um, you know, advocating for you know um, um, rules, um, you know, um, at the federal level, even for the you know AACU, uh, uh, or uh, at the state level, um, or in their own um, institutions and classrooms and have done um, abundant research on the field um, and so that's the, uh, how we selected them. They are well-known researchers and uh, practitioners uh, from different sides and you'll see you have individuals from higher express higher education, uh, you also have a, uh, a judge you know in particular from you know the prison um, you know the, the, the pipeline so we're addressing societal issues as well you know that go beyond the classroom and then, but nevertheless impact our students you know, because of course we have a life outside campus uh, that impacts the performance in class as well how have the topics or the themes changed throughout the years I don't know if I know you were both co-chairs this year but given with the George Floyd and all that's happened since all that, we've really brought to light a lot of issues. So how have maybe the topics changed or things moved forward from the past? As Dr. Um, Angela Tidio-Maya has mentioned previously, we, f- we look at what's going on nationwide to help us inform our conversation. So it remains relevant every year. So in the years past, we've had things such as um, looking at um, voters' rights. And especially around the year um, election year, so we want to make sure that people knew what the rights are, why we advocate for these rights, what were some of the historical in- instances that were rights were, were prevented from, um, um, restricted from those of people of color. Um, we've also looked at, um, for instance, dreaming of Wakanda after the Black Panther movement, and just looking at what Pan African solidarity looks like without looking at it in conjunction or relation to whiteness, and making sure that people knew what does it look like to have p- pieces of political capital or being able to support one another across the African diaspora. So as we just look at each year, it's just about what is it that we need to focus on that year. And because of it being the pandemic and the mur- recent murder of Mr. George Floyd, it was appropriate for us to talk about the inequities in the classroom. So every year, it's about what's affecting people, of, uh, descendants of Africa on local, national, international level. So, Do you think the pandemic has really brought out some of these inequities even more than otherwise you would have noticed? I think so. Um, you know, I think it certainly 
um, shed the light on um, many of the different ways that, for one, some students are not supported, and then, of course, moving the conversations into how that can be remedied. Um, and, you know, when uh, before the pandemic, it was business as usual. Um, I'm not so sure those disparities, uh, they were there, but perhaps for some, they were not as glaring as they are now. Yeah, it really has brought to light a lot of those those things. And what are some of the biggest obstacles that you face? Um, in uh, organizing the conference, you mean? Yes, in, in terms of equ- equality and, and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, well, it's as just a topic. It's not always, um, you know, well received um, because, you know, um, some feel um, that um, already, you know, a lot has been done, uh, but perhaps uh, misunderstand um, that although that is true, um, there's a lot of work yet to be done, um, you know. So uh, sometimes, um, you know, just, you know, being able to um, communicate to various stakeholders um, the, the importance of the topic, you know, can, can be challenging depending on um, the individual's receptiveness to the discussion. Um, but, um, and, and then, of course, making, you know, the keeping the conversation um, you know, um, you know, res- respectful and really, you know, trying to, to move forward um, and, and making sure everybody is included in the classroom. Um, and then there are also more practical obstacles in um, implementing, you know, some of the best practices, you know, because you might be willing, but perhaps you don't have the resources or perhaps you don't, um, you know, it takes some convincing to get the support um, that you might need um, either in your classroom or, um, you know, as an administrator on campus. You know, so they are also, um, you know, and obviously those are contextual you know, for um, every individual. You know, um, so there are, you know, there may be some, there are some additional challenges there. Um, but we feel it's a conversation worth having, um, which is why uh, we selected this as a topic. The other thing I was just thinking about, too, in addition to that, Angela, is the fact that, you know, we continue to move and progress throughout history and our understanding of the needs of our um, different pe- people from different backgrounds. When we think about some of the um, the early times, we think about um, equality and everyone having to n- this need of equality because, you know, the rights were not there as far as having um, separate but equal or the fact that students of color could not get the same educational uh, opportunities at that time. But as we've moved a little bit beyond that, and there are still some instances where that's not, you know, acceptable or it's not where we need it to be. We then realize that we move for equality where everyone has equal, uh, the same pair of shoes or the same tires on their car to realizing that we need to meet the needs of our students differently based on their learning habits mm-hmm. or their skills or what they're bringing to the table. So then we move to equity. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that as mm-hmm. we look about, we think about how equality came up at that time. That was a controversial topic and, and no one wanted to talk about equality. Why, does, why do we need to have these children in our classrooms with our, with our children? But now that we're talking about, okay, well, everyone has equality. That's that's the bare minimum now. So when we talk about equity, it's like, well, how is that going to affect my child? What What is that going to prevent my child from being able to have? So as people have this mindset, of it's like it's got to be a give or take. And with that give or take, there's that fear that comes behind it. So when we talk about helping to help close the equity gap, there's this fear of my child is going to be left behind. Or there's going to be this effort to bring the children from the bottom up. And my child who's at the top is going to stay there or have to come down. No. We need to get beyond that and helping to understand that 
We need to address issues of ADHD or different learning habits or the fact that some children are having to support their um, younger brothers or sisters at home because their parents are working and that we need to further help them so that way they don't have to do that and they can focus on their um, academics. So as we look at equity, that's one of the issues that we're facing right now is that people don't truly understand the impacts of it and also the fact that it does not negatively affect those who are currently benefiting or achieving well. I'm glad you said... I agree, and I would add to that. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I know there's also been resistance to what people say, well, why are we changing history? And I don't think that we're changing history so much as we're understanding history and how it was told from a different perspective. And I think that's something maybe that is being looked at with this conference in terms of how teachers are teaching and what they're teaching. Exactly. And to that point, I, w- I was about to add the, the importance of a culturally relevant curriculum. Um, you know, just like for any students, it's easier to understand and learn, you know, when the content that's being taught is made relevant to them, um, you know, in, in words or examples, you know, that they understand. Um, and I mean, that's a conversation, for example, that you've heard about with uh, the standardized test, for example, um, you know, and, and in how, you know, they are, um, you know, worded, um, you know, so um, all of this, you know, um, are pieces of the puzzle um, to look at uh, in a more holistic way to ensure that everybody gets an opportunity to be successful um, in our K-12 and higher education systems. Okay, very good. Thank you for that. What other things do you want people to take away from the conference? Well, for one, um, as you said, um, knowing more about what those um, inequities and inequalities, you know, are and um, ways, um, learning ways to better advocate um, for, uh, you know, students uh, you know, um, of colors, of, of color in the classroom with some of those best practices that are going to be shared. Um, again, we want this to be very, you know, practical uh, so that any one of us attending the conference can leave with specific tools. This is what I can do for my child. This is what I can do in my classroom. This is what I can do in my department, et cetera, um, you know, to help uh, close that equity gap. Angela, you're in California, and Kenneth, we're here in Minnesota. Do you think there's anybody doing a good job of maybe being better at educating that you could give as examples and you look to for those best practices? Does anything stand out? Like, is California uh, better? Is Minnesota better? Is there an example of of where it's uh, being done? No, we all face the same issues. Um, And, you know, um, perhaps at a larger scale here, simply because, you know, of the size of the school districts in uh, the university system. Um, But um, research shared by, you know, Dr. Luke Woods uh, certainly uh, points to some of the things that San Diego State University is doing on their campuses, you know, that we can, uh, you know, learn from and um, only improve. Uh, but I can, none of us, you know, are uh, the gold standard at this point in that there are no inequities in the, cl- in, you know, in the classroom. Um, certainly I'm not aware of an example. I think all of us are work in progress. Um, an important thing is, um, you know, to acknowledge that and figure out how to move forward. And I would add to that and say that... Um 
there are a number of institutions and districts that are doing things to try to move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the thing that we can do best or better at is bringing in those pieces that each one is doing and identifying a common way of approach or doing it. But that common way is still being meeting the unique needs of our students. So what I'm, an example of what that might look like here at Minnesota State University in Mankato, our um, Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Dr. Henry Morris, is looking at some of the high fail rates of DFW classes or to help ensure that our faculty know what it means to be culturally responsive in their teaching or developing certain programs such as the Maverick Success Program that looks at, hey, if you're coming in as a conditional admit, what ways can we help get you on track so you can be successful in your first year? Or another one is our math pass program. Those DFW classes, we're then going back and saying... DFW. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. Yes. So DFW are um, classes that have um, high... um, are great students that have high grades in, uh, with a D, an F, or have withdrawn draw, okay, from a class. You. I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> so with those high DFW classes, we have the Math Pass program, which looks at, hey, what are those classes, and can we get a supplemental support system or tutor in that class that understands the material, but they can support the, the student outside the classroom? These are just some of the ways that we're working on that here at MSU, but we know that other schools have some models and examples that we can learn from, grow from, but we don't have that book. We don't be able, we're not able to com- mm-hmm. communicate or share those resources more widely compared to just doing within our own region? I would add to that the mentoring program, you know, pairing faculty with um, students of um, color um, and faculty or, and or staff, you know, to help support individually um, and, and provide that individualized attention, you know, to some of the students who volunteered to participate in the program. So MSU definitely is doing a lot of great things um, to um, help those students um, feel more comfortable and complete, you know, their education. Because of course, one of the concerns is, is the dropout rate, you know, feeling inadequate or not supported, um, and not completing the degrees. What does culturally responsive teaching look like? A practical example um, could be, for example, in my own classes, for example, um, the the material that I use. Um, do um, do the case analysis that I take? Um, do my students uh, see themselves, you know, in some of the scenarios? Uh, are um, do I have scenarios with you know stud- um, protagonists from the majority group as well as um, you know um, African American or um, or, or African Japanese in the cases? Uh, do I have uh, speakers? from a variety of backgrounds that come um, to uh, my classroom um, that all of my students, you know, uh, can um, identify with. Um, do I um, uh, contextualize, you know, some of the concepts, you know, in a practical way um, that they can understand based on the background, for example? Um, these are some of the ways, you know, that I try to make sure that where one example might speak you know, to a particular student, a different kind of example or learning activity will, um, you know, make sense to a student from a different uh, ethnic or cultural background. Did you have anything to add there, Kenneth? Okay. I wanted to ask Kenneth, so you are the Director of African American and Multicultural Affairs here at Minnesota State. What does that office do? I mean, it's 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 a big title, but I mean, just curious, what is kind of your focus? Yes, so, um, 
First of all, I, I, I would say that I'm thankful for the opportunity to serve as a director of African American Multicultural Affairs because it's presented me a number of great, unique opportunities. Some of the things that I'm able to do is work directly with our students in helping them overcome their obstacles, their um, barriers to access to education. So that's anything from talking about their financial aid package and looking at awards or scholarships or helping them understand or interpret that financial aid package and what ways we have resources on campus, such as our emergency grants or our diversity, equity, inclusion, retention grant to help them like just persist. Because sometimes they'll see that, they'll be overwhelmed by it, and then they want to stop out. Or I might look at and advocate for policy change or conversations with deans and directors about what ways can we best support a student. So an example of that is like just taking a look at um, um, the the way to, to test out of a particular class and the way that that particular test out option was done, it, was, it, was, it wasn't equitable. It wasn't providing an opportunity for students who do well to still have that opportunity to get out of the class and, and to test out. Or it might be, for instance, developing the program that Angela has mentioned, which is the Village Mentoring Program, which is pairing up our faculty and staff with our students because we see that there's a need to have a sense of belonging or connectedness. So that program helps them get connected with one another and have a sense of belonging on campus. Or the BU, Black Excellence in You Living Learning Community. So it's just analyzing the data and coming up with solutions and opportunities to close the opportunity gap to support our students. So with the Black Male Program, for instance, my students, I noticed that there was a high, um, the numbers were a little off with regards to our Black males underperforming their gender and race counterparts. Okay. And so what I did is develop a program where as though they come to us in their first year, they live together in a cohort. They are supported in the cohort by programs and, and initiatives and things that I put on together with them. And then they meet with me on a weekly basis just so they can see someone that's representative that looks like them. And then also put them in classes that helps them understand their, um, their, their identity. So that way when they go into another class, they feel supported with each other and they also know have a, sense, a stronger sense of belonging. So that's just a couple of ways I do that. But then in addition to supporting my diverse student population, more specifically African-American, the multicultural affairs piece comes into play when it's intersectionality. So the, the fact that I identify as a black male from a low socioeconomic background who also identifies as gay, there are marginalized identities that are intersecting with one another. So that's the multicultural piece because the reality is I have students that identify as Afro-Latino. Wow. I have students who identify as black and gay or black and as trans. So we can't just say African-American affairs. Because the reality is I have students that have multiple needs, such as being a veteran, and they have services and support services they need. But then beyond the students I'm serving, I'm also serving the greater campus community. And the ways I'm serving the greater campus community is by con conducting for, uh, workshops for, for colleges or, or departments, or conducting workshops for residential life, et cetera, to talk about what does it mean to be culturally competent? What does it mean to be supportive of diverse backgrounds? How do we be inclusive of all spaces? And bringing in speakers to continue that conversation so that way we can be welcoming of all communities that join us at MSU and make us a diverse world that we are, or the global majority, because the United States might be prim primarily white. But the global majority is a diverse population. Absolutely. We are unfortunately out of time. Any final words from either of you, Dr. Amaya? Um, you know, thank you for having me. And then we hope to see um, many of you attending the conference. It's virtual, so it's easy. Uh, you know, um, if you want to be an advocate or an ally, come so you can learn some of the ways you can do that. Now, Kenneth, can people still come or is it, is, is it, is it all filled up? 
Uh, well, it's never filled up. Uh, we just need to try to move some of the names over. But if we do get a couple emails that come in today or first thing tomorrow, we may be able to get them added in. We'll go ahead and give that email address out at panafricanconference at mnsu.edu. Again, that's panafricanconference at mnsu.edu. And we'll work our, we'll do our best to try to get folks registered. And it's virtual, correct? It is virtual. So you can enjoy yeah. all of the speakers from the comfort of your own home or your office space because we want to just we talk about equity we want to make sure the information is accessible by all no matter what the platform is and also because it's virtual we know that some folks don't have access to technology immediately so the videos we're going to be recording everything and make it available to may 31st so that way depending if you need to get to the library or go to a friend's house you can still access it all right so is there a web page they can go to to access that that um is there going to be a link so you can go to the conference website to learn more about the um, the speakers. Okay. However, to get information about concurrent sessions as well as to be registered for the conference, it's best to email us at the Pan African Conference at mnsu.edu. Wonderful. Well, thank you both. I uh, want to thank. We've been talking with Dr. Angela Titi Amaya, the professor, assistant professor at California Bakersfield, State and also University, Bakersfield. yes, California State University Bakersfield, and also Kenneth Reed, who is the director of African American and Multicultural Affairs here at Minnesota State. Thank you both for your time. Thank Appreciate you. it, and wishing you a wonderful conference. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Thank you very much. All right, it's great to chat with both of them and learn a little bit more. And and it sounds like a great conference. So as he mentioned, if you can email, if you want to learn more, and maybe watch it or or be able to tune in virtually, that would be a great opportunity.